What's up, everyone? This is episode 19 of The Buddy Ruski Show. My guest today is Margaret McNabb. Margaret is a brilliant marketer and communicator and a big supporter of freelancing and gig workers. We talked about her journey from Montana, where she was born, to Oregon, where she went to college, and eventually, after a short stint in Prague, because, you know, why not, how she made her way to Durham in 2009. Margaret took a job leading public relations for the Durham Convention and Visitors Bureau, what is now known as Discover Durham, in 2010, and an important inflection point in the city's recent history. There's lots to learn in this one. A quick disclaimer, this episode was recorded in January, so some of the more recent events in our country have not been accounted for in parts of the conversation about COVID and post-traumatic stress, among other things. Please be sure to follow Buddy Ruski on social, or sign up for the newsletter at buddyruski.com. We have a lot of important company updates coming up, and I wouldn't want you to miss them. Without further ado, here's Margaret McNabb. Margaret McNabb, thanks so much for being on the Buddy Ruski Show. Hello. <laughs> Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to talk to you. Thrilled to see somebody. I know. It's it's nice to have that face-to-face -face connection, even if it's through a computer screen. We were just talking about our blue light glasses and how we need them through the tremendous amount of time that we're looking at screen these days. The pandemic is only... Uh, exaggerated that for most people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Lots of people wearing glasses these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got to protect their their screen eyes. <laughs> well, I I've always tried to do this when I start the show and, and figure out where it is that I initially connected with folks, and I, I don't actually know if I can pinpoint when you and I first met. I think maybe you had just left the visitor center. Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's not it's not coming to me maybe it'll come to me during our conversation uh but usually i'm pretty good about that this time around it's still a mystery to me um i think i, think I know where it is oh good well maybe it'll maybe it will reveal itself okay. a little bit later um but i'd love to to start at the beginning and hear a little bit about i know you're not a native to north carolina i at the beginning of this run of episodes, I feel like I was only talking to people that were native to North Carolina. And now the last few conversations I've had, have they've been mostly with uh, transplants. So it's interesting to see that, how that's morphed over time. But yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, just like where you're from and maybe how you got here uh, to North Carolina. Yeah, um, so I grew up in Missoula, Montana. Um, I was born in Bend, Oregon, but uh, went to, yeah, most all my school, high school, all that kind of stuff in, in Montana. Um, but I always kind of aspired to go back to Oregon, um, but especially just to, to get out of Montana and just, you know, explore and see more of what was out there in the world and, and all that kind of stuff. It was a great, great place to grow up. And there's just enough trouble that you can get into there. So that was, that's good. <laughs> but I, I wanted to experience that. How did you end up down in Montana? 
Um, so my, yeah, my family is originally from there. Um, our family has a, um, our, our, my dad's family had a ranch in Eastern Montana um, and very, yes, the, the flat, the, you know, hot part of it and all that. So then, um, then he grew up in Billings and then eventually always wanted to go back to Montana. So, um, uh, so my mom got a job with the forest service. That's what she'd you know, been doing, um, for her entire career. And then that kind of brought us over there and, um, brought us back to Montana and my family still lives out there. They're in, um, uh, Bozeman, Montana. So get to, I still visit. Um, pretty regularly, although I don't go to the town where I grew up very often. Is there anybody left in, in that town from your family? Nope. Nope. Yeah. I haven't been to, I really haven't been to Missoula in years. Um, but uh, Bozeman's awesome. It's right near Yellowstone Park. And um, yeah, it's a great place to get to, to get to go and visit. I think Bozeman is the only city that I know in Montana. Uh-huh. Uh, Helena, Billings. Billings is the largest city in, uh, in Montana. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what the head count is there, but um, when I was growing up, it was, uh, Billings is a city and it had the largest, the tallest building in the state. And I believe it was like 11 floors or something, 11, 13 floor entire state. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, the triangle, well, I guess the Red Hat building is pretty tall, but I know Durham for most of my life, I can only think of one building that was t more than 10 feet or 10 stories, sorry. And it was the, uh, they called, I know people call it the pickle. It's That's like what I was the university <laughs> towers. Built. I don't know. I forget what the building actually is now, but um, yeah. So, you know, Dur Durham is, has grown a lot. Yeah. Uh, in the last few years, I, w I wouldn't feel too bad about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think I also remember growing up um, in Missoula. I remember when um, the mall, when they're, they put in an escalator and that was the first escalator in the entire state of Montana. And they, um, so the, for the day that they opened it, um, there was like lines so you could go you know, so that people could go um, up in it. And it was like this big celebration and all that. And there were bumper stickers that said, I rode Montana's first escalator that they were handing out. And it was, the best part was, it was just going to the mezzanine level. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs theme parks when you've got escalators, right? Oh yeah, something as exciting as that. And that had, yeah, that was like 1998 or something. <laughs> big stuff. So you said that you, you knew you eventually wanted to make it back to Oregon. Mm -hmm. What was it about Oregon? I mean, I guess the little that I know about Montana mm -hmm. is that there's not a whole lot going on. Right. You're, you know, depending on what you're looking for. So you did eventually make your way back to Oregon for school, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, so yeah, so my, yeah, my, I have a lot of family in, in Oregon and Washington as well. And so a lot of my family members um, had gone to University of Oregon and I just, some of my earliest memories as a kid um, were of us, um, yeah, driving from Bend to Eugene, which is basically you're going from this high desert um, to 
uh, this very lush, beautiful Willamette Valley. And it was just such, like, such strong memories in my mind of looking out the window and, and seeing all that. So I was, it was very like, very strong, like positive association with Eugene, Oregon and the university. So I just kind of had always had in my mind that I just, that's where I wanna go. And yeah, our, um, a lot of fun family memories and, and all that there too, so. Was there a particular part of the school that you were interested in? Like what, what was it about besides family history? Was there something in particular at University of Oregon that you were interested in getting into? Well, um, yeah, I mean, mostly I was interested in getting out of Montana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, um, uh, yeah, so I just got a bunch of, you know, scholarships and all that and was just kind of doing a little choose your own adventure. So I um, applied to the um, Honors College and I applied, you know, for some funding through that and um, through um, this program that was called the Western Undergraduate Exchange. So it basically gives you um, some sort of like, you know, tuition credit. So it made it like nearly like in-state tuition. Um, so then I was able to afford it. So that seemed like a really great way to achieve my goal. And so, um, but in, as I was applying for that, you know, applying to that program, um, one of the, uh, the ways that you could do it, it was just like all through underfunded um, programs within the school, I guess, or under, under enrolled. Um, so anthropology was one of those. And that had a lot of appeal for me just for, you know, a curiosity about people and culture and just just really just people just very very uh interested in expanding my world and all that so did that come from your parents at all nope i think that that's just was always my kind of outlook or an interest or my special um you know special thing so yeah so that that seems like a really um yeah a good thing to do so i did that <laughs> I feel like that's given that you're now a communications professional. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're one of the few people that I've talked to that has actually used their degree to some. To mm -hmm. some level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it is definitely forms my perspective on on everything about how I approach marketing, um, PR, uh, you know, leadership, uh, management, all that kind of stuff. Was there uh, a particular job that you were seeking out as a anthropology major? Oh, absolutely not. Nope, 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 nope. No, I don't think I ever, my game plan never really went past uh, graduation day of college, you know, or university, just really just did not think about that until the day after. It's <laughs> like, oh man, oh, oh boy, what am I gonna do? Um, did you stick around in Oregon much after graduation? I, um, so I taught, so my, you know, uh, work study job during college was um, teaching conversational English. I was like, this is awesome. I just get paid to talk to people, great. <laughs> so to, to international students, right? Because I'm also, you know, my, my main motivation is just expanding my world and meeting new people and different kinds of people and all that. So it was, it's like just the best possible job <laughs> to have for whatever it was like eight bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour. 
Um, but so the summer after I graduated, I ended up um, staying on campus and um, uh, teaching and being a part of this, um, this program, like EFL program. And um, over that, so it's so like for, for uh, Fulbright students and Humphrey scholars and all that. So they'd come from all over the world. They'd learn how to um, improve their English before they went out to the other programs. And there'd be other, just I don't know, all sorts of different um, uh, student groups. Um, so I really liked that work. And there were some of the teachers for that language program who said you could get jobs abroad teaching English. And I was like, that sounds great. I'll do that. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I did. Um, so then I moved to um, Spokane, Washington, and I lived in my parents' basement, and I uh, worked at a call center um, for, and that was like eight dollars and fifty cents an hour. Um, but I did as much overtime as I could, so I just made money and decided that I was going to move to Europe and teach English. Um, so I did that and I moved to Prague, um, like sight unseen, no place to live, no job, <laughs> all that just made it Is happen. there any other way to do it? I don't know, but boy, that I just scared the crap out of myself, I'll tell you. <laughs> Why Prague um, of all the places that you could go? Um, because I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like seemed like a good one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. There is, um, I really don't know. There some some sort of appeal. Just kind of sp spun the globe and threw a dart and was like, that seems okay. Yeah, I was yeah. like, where would my money go? pretty far mm. and still be, I don't know, we have some family in, in um, family friends in Germany. So it felt like there was some sort of anchor on the continent. Um, and that was enough. <laughs> Were you always thinking Europe? Were you ever considering South America, Africa, anything like that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, South America, I don't speak Spanish or anything. Yeah. And, so, and having family friends, like you said, close yeah. by, when you're going out on a whim like that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I just was, I think, in making it happen mode. Um, and that just seemed like a viable option in terms of like, also how, how the jobs worked. So um, a lot of the programs in Asia were you're teaching kids and um, I wanted to teach adults. So... Um, so, cause those jobs are a little bit more flexible, I guess. And, you know, the, when you're teaching kids it has to be super linear and I don't know. So, uh, so you had so, somewhat of a plan. Yeah. I mean, just generally just, you know, kind of thoughts and feelings <laughs> it all came together. Um, how long were you in Prague for? Yeah, I was there just over a year. I taught, um, I taught business professionals. I taught um, like Fortune 500 company executives how to converse in English. They practiced their speeches um, with me and it was great. I was like 22 years old. <laughs> it was very, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a really, uh, it was a great adventure. Um, what brought you back stateside after that? Mm -hmm. um, I think 
my mom had gotten sick. There were some, mm. you know, some, uh, some health issues in the family and I didn't want to be as far away and, you know, have to deal with the time zone. Cause of course my family's back in Montana still. Right. So it's, um, uh, it's a number of hours in between us. Um, and I think also it's like, okay, well, what's, what do I want to do now? I was, I was, pretty good at teaching English <laughs> but uh but I was also like okay what's you know what do I what else what else is there so um I had expressed that to one of my uh college best friends Tyler and in an email and he was like well why don't you just move home to Portland and I was like well except because I've never lived in Portland it's not really home <laughs> he was like sure it is I said, okay sure then I'll do that so, um, so yeah, so I came back and, um, flew back into Bozeman, uh, or excuse me, into, um, uh, into Montana, Missoula, um, and yeah, and then, um, bought a Greyhound ticket and I had a couple of bags and I moved to Portland. <laughs> what was, what was Portland like, uh, when you got there, because you know, I think of Portland uh, in a similar manner to a lot of. Honestly, I think of Portland as like the sort of original hipster town. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the the way that people think of Austin, Raleigh, Durham. I don't know, Richmond, Virginia, just like all these places, Boston, um, all these places that have growing tech scenes and breweries and music venues and all that kind of stuff. I think of Portland as being kind of the the OG of that. And so I'm curious what your experience was like in Portland at that time. I think that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it was definitely, it was a really good time when I, by the time I left, it was like, okay, my never, my life is never going to be quite like this again. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I worked in music. Uh, that's eventually what I, um, where I landed. Uh, as a music publicist and I managed some bands and uh, worked in a recording studio and um, yeah, I had a, I had definitely a really cool life. I went out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I do a I, lot of shows. And yeah. I know the gig a little bit through, uh, <laughs> through Runaway. We had a lot of long, long weeks, long weekends, just mm -hmm. like, yeah, going to any, anything in the scene that we, we could, you know, we would be invited to, it was like, okay, like, how could we say no? Yeah, exactly. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun to be a part of something. Especially uh, when you're young too. And you're like, mm -hmm. you, you have less responsibilities and um, you're just like, okay, if there was a time in my life that this was going to make sense, oh, now right. is it. Yeah. So got to get it out of my system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel completely satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> but probably I won't do it again. It sounds like. So, I don't think so. Not, not in, not in full, not in full. I'm not, not, not proud of every moment. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you bounce around a bit. You, you're in school in Oregon. You leave Oregon. You come back to Oregon. How, how do you eventually end up in, in Durham? Um, so I moved out here with a guy that I was dating, um, in, uh, in Portland, another, um, he's a very creative guy, an advertising guy. And um, yeah, and he had gotten uh, recruited out here to work at McKinney. 
And so I've heard of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I came with, yeah, I, you know, I kind of reached a point, um, in Portland, both like kind of socially and professionally and all that, where I was just, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted more. I wanted something different. I know you're, you're not, uh, like your friend mentioned, or that you mentioned that Portland isn't home necessarily, but it is still Oregon. Was there a sense that this sort of felt like too close to home? You were just kind of like, I, I want to go, you know, I'm getting the itch to just like explore a totally different environment. Yeah, I think that there, I think that there was, yeah, I just, I, I, that, you know, that pursuit of just wanting to see more of the world and experience more and see, uh, see different things and, you know, have a very, um, I don't know, I, 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 that's kind of what, what the, the motivation to come out here was. Um, and also just to uh, look for work and different types of work. Um, I enjoyed music, but um, that was when, that was my foray into independent work and freelancing. When, uh, when did you move to North Carolina? In 2009. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So in Portland, so yeah, I'd been freelancing out there, um, but not without like really knowing it. It was more just, this is the kind of, you know, uh, work that I'm putting together and it was fun and I could make it work. It wasn't comfortable, but I didn't quite understand enough about, uh, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't quite understand that I was operating a business I didn't really see it that way and that's not quite what I wanted either so I was applying for um, for all these jobs and trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do and so in the course of this of one year I applied for like over 300 jobs wow and this would probably be like 2008 or something like that and that was probably yeah, a good time to be looking for work right <laughs> I did that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we know that now, but at the time I just took it so personally, yeah. you know, um, as it's anytime you're on the, on the job market or, or whatever, like it's a very vulnerable thing and it's hard not to take personally and all that. But yeah, so I was just doing all these, you know, I was doing my, my work, but I was doing, doing just applying for jobs all the time and, um, and interviewing for jobs. And there were three times that I made it to the fifth round of interviews and did not get hired. <laughs> and so by the end of it, I was, I just was like, I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, yeah, that would be soul crushing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's all sorts of things that, you know, that, yeah, that, that can, yeah, that can become soul crushing in the, uh, <laughs> in a situation like that. So it's interesting yeah. to hear you say that you weren't looking for, that kind of lifestyle then because that's what I, I think of uh of your like big strength being is sort of the person who has navigated freelance work in such a way that you've really carved out a niche for yourself um granted i think that freelancing and the gig economy and that type of work the infrastructure and this is sort of points to some of the work that you've done with the freelance league, um, you know, the infrastructure for freelancing and gig work wasn't really there, um, at least to my knowledge. Um, and so it's not like 
now, or if you want to be a freelancer, there's a blueprint that has been laid out by people that have come before you. And there are organizations that are around specifically to help people, you know, um, with their essentially small business. Um, but, but I'm sure that stuff didn't exist when you were putting that kind of lifestyle together it could be um, daunting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just was like, why, why is, does my, why does, does, is my professional life, why doesn't it look like everybody else's, you know, I just, and at that point, of course, I'd taken, you know, I'd zigged and zagged a few times. So it's like, I mean, I get it like an anthropology degree, business minor, it's cool. Um, and, you know, then going off and, you know, teaching English and, you know, and then coming, teaching business English or whatever, and then coming back and working in music, like, I get it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that was just, that was just kind of uh, got old after a while. But um, when people see those careers, that career path now, and look at it slightly differently because the value of soft skills have been made more apparent. And so on paper, you look at anthropology degree, teaching and you know, business English in Prague, mm -hmm. running your own operation as a music publicist, managing bands. And there's, it doesn't seem like it connects, but there are a lot of skills within each one of those positions that make up a really solid resume as a communicator, as a manager. Right. It was like 2008, 2009 is the thing, you know? And so, and so I, you know, so I, I was freelancing and I was doing my thing and, and, and all that, but it was, yeah, it was totally nerve wracking just to, to, you know, to have to figure it out on my own. And you continued freelancing here in North Carolina when you got here. And then, yeah, I did, I did, I had like carried over a little bit, um, but I also, yeah, I just had kind of like odd jobs and stuff like that too, um, until uh, I took a job with uh, the Convention of Visitors Bureau, which is now Discovered or Not. I'd love to hear more about that position because I, coming to Durham in 2009, 2010 is right, it seems like right at the cusp of this first wave, second wave of Durham revitalization. You know, the, the DPAC had been around, ATC had been around for a little bit, um, but Durham was certainly not what we think of now. And so I'm curious what maybe um, what appealed to you about the job and also what what did you see as the task in front of you when trying to promote Durham to the world in 2009, 2010, given the sort of, you know, limited resources, so to speak, that you would have had then, you know, there are so many things that you can promote now. Uh, but but back then, a lot of these things that we think of as Durham institutions didn't exist. So I, I'm curious to hear what that experience was like for you. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I I think 
that it'll always be one of the best products I've ever gotten to work on or to sell, you know, like Durham, um, it was great. There's a lot to, to, to enjoy and, and have fun with and learn about at that time. Um, so I, I think just some of the, the skills for the job, yeah, it was like a, a PR job and, um, and just kind of tourism. I think my, maybe my music background was, was intriguing to them and, and whatever, but it was great. I got the job. So, um, and I was new here. So it was a really cool way to do what I'd done, like, you know, that summer after I graduated from college um, and, um, you know, learn about all the various uh, um, assets and amenities and uh sites and, and all that. So, um, do you think it helped or hurt more to not have been in this area very long? Um, I think I was very curious about, you know, um, ex exploring it all and, and, and seeing what was going on. And, and I've been to places, um, in this area that people growing up here haven't necessarily been to recently you know um bennett place or whatever you know so you had sort of a fresh a fresh take or like fresh eyes on a place because I, I feel that way too i think there are plenty of places in durham growing up here that you know granted as a young kid you have your play spaces so there are things that you would never think to go to um right but at the same time, yeah, there are plenty of places that, you know, I'll drive around now and, you know, I might happen to be in the car with my grandfather or my mom and they'll point out a place that they used to go eat or it used to be this thing. And I'm like, wait, what? It always was this other thing that I know it for. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that perspective, whether it's in Durham or somebody moving here from out of Durham, I think has, has certainly shaped or, or changed my uh, perception of what Durham is and has been compared to the way mm -hmm. I felt in a time like 2010, where people were moving here. And I was just like, who the hell are these people? What are they doing here? They don't, mm -hmm. get it. they don't, they don't understand. Yeah. Um, their deal. yeah. 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 It was fun to, I, I got to meet so many, um, so many people and business owners and um, uh, folks within the city um, at that time too, which was really, really appealing. Uh, so I like to meet people and I like to, to learn what they're about and what they're doing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it, that was, that was a really, uh, a good time to be here in Durham. Um, that was right when the pinhook was opening. That was right when Motorco was opening. That was right when, uh, so Casbah, that, that, club there's yeah you know, just a couple other um spots like full that full steam i think full steam yeah time. yeah that's right when that that popped up so there was there was just a lot to talk about um and yeah so and and it was fun and there was there was a lot of opportunity too even um uh i got to write this extended column about um the you know, music venues and all that in the um uh the visitor uh, guide, which was cool. And I was really excited about because I felt like that was a way for me to contribute, um, to, you know, attracting more daytime 
visitors or whatever, more people to come to Durham because that's what gets the bands here is the, you know, so, so that was really fun to feel like I was still connected to that mission and had some way to, um, to help. It was also my, one of my great, great joys and probably, uh, probably favorite projects still to this day um, was when they launched the Bull City Connector, that free bus around town. I got assigned to be the social media voice and I just loved it. I love showing up every day and just getting to be a bus and meeting people as a bus and do it. Yeah, it was so, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, so there's just a lot of fun things to do uh, through that, um, through that organization. How long were you there for? I feel like it was there for like three years or something. Like two and a, two and a half, something like that. It does yeah. seem like a job that is ripe for, I don't want to say turnover, but it does seem like it's a job that benefits from having fresh perspective often when you start to get, when it starts to get institutionalized, you start to get people like me who are, you know, the, uh, are begrudging all the new folks instead of being mm -hmm. welcoming or, or your perspective just gets warped to get skewed. You're like in it so deep. I mean, I know I've, I feel this between all the various roles that I've had in the last decade with runaway and American underground and just being entrenched in that community for a long time, you start to feel an attachment to it and a obligation to it. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be objective. And I think that was always a struggle for me was how can I be an objective observer of what's happening around me mm -hmm. as someone who enjoys, you know, who has a similar, um, I didn't major in anthropology, but I would like to think that I have some of that in me a little bit as a journalist to, to want to be a voice for the community. And when you start to get that deep into it, again, it's hard to be objective. So I imagine that, um, I don't know if that, happened to you at all but it seems like three years is probably a good run for a position like that yeah it was it was a good run for me to figure out you know what uh what else I wanted because at this point so so I was the um I joined the scrap exchange board at that time um and then assumed I became I guess I was the president of the board for um, for a couple of those years. And this is when, um, right after the roof collapse and we moved out to Golden Belt. Um, and then we bought the, um, the, uh, the building that the, um, the scrap is in now. So, so that was really fun. And I, I, I got to also contribute to the, uh, the creative community in that capacity, um, and do some cool stuff and, and really start to, you know, explore leadership as, as both a concept and, um, you know, and a, a responsibility that one can step into and, you know, contributions to make and all that. So I was excited about that. Um, and I was doing some, some small freelance projects again too. I just wanted, I just wanted more stuff to do. That was kind of the thing was, um, there was only a finite amount of, of work for me um, at work. So then 
I just started doing more stuff on my own. And then I um, really just kind of wanted to go back and have the freedom of working for myself. I really, you know, it's kind of, uh, um, it was my first nature, you know? So I, um, yeah, I was putting the, the vibe out for some more work and um, I got a sizable enough anchor client to go back to freelance. And I could, you know, by that point I had a really high tolerance for, um, uh, for the unstable income and all that. And I had uh, a plan going back in this time. I had enough experience to say, okay, here's, here's what I need to reset. And that was really fun. That was fun going back into that, uh, into that, you know, freelance experience and um, with more confidence and um, knowing that I could do it better, but that for sure I could do it. Was the change in infrastructure around freelancing at all? Did that play into your decision? Nope, nope, nope. No, I would say at that time, even um, there weren't, uh, I wouldn't say there was like much of a conversation around freelancing, you know, it's still kind of the, um, you're, you know, kind of apologetically explaining uh, how it is that you make a living, you know, rather than saying, this is my job title. And everybody's like, oh, yes. Oh, I understand who you are. I see your value to society. Instead, it's, you know, like, ah, you fit in. Um, and, uh, but that was, that was comfortable to me. That was worth it. That was exciting. Did you have any mentors or anyone in the space that you looked to or that gave you the, like sort of gave you the energy or like the, the knowledge to, to really push back into that? Or was this more, like you said, first nature for you. And so you just did it on your own. Yeah, I think I, I just, I really just kind of launched back into it on my own. Although um, I knew uh, I, a couple of things that, that how I approached things differently um, were by getting to know the other people in the, um, the other few handful of um, PR freelancers who are out there, um, a handful of women. And um, it's like, okay, those are the first people that I need to know. And cause we can share contacts and, and all that. And we're all people, people. So that was very cool. And I think in, in a little bit unexpected uh, for, for some folks, like why would you just reach out to your quote unquote competitor? You know, what's, what's the value in that? Um, but there was just tremendous value. Um, so we all knew who each other was and what kind of whose expertise was what, so we could make sure that everybody was, you know, working on the right stuff and, um, and we could help each other be successful. And that was, that was very cool. That was definitely a big part of the, the, those days. It does seem like that's been a, as long as I've been in Durham and MO for the way that people operate here is that there's enough to go around. And so there's not this hyper competitive cutthroat mentality for people that work here it's much more cordial and even i would take it a step further you know much people are like going out of their way to help you everyone Mm -hmm. kind of has this mentality that they uh, you know of service and so um yeah i 
I'm glad to hear that, but I'm also not surprised that that was mm-hmm. your experience. Cause I just know from my experience at a place like American underground where that mm-hmm. seemed to be a constant people. That was one of the things that I loved about it early mm-hmm. on when Gabe and I had our office there for runaways, just, I, it was so easy. I felt so comfortable going to a neighboring office and knocking on the door and saying, Hey, I, I really don't know how to do this email marketing automation. <laughs> do you have 30 minutes, like, you know, it's frying my brain and they would drop what they were doing and just be like, Oh yeah, here's, here's this tool. Just, you know, do this thing, click this button. You're good to go. And, uh, and I, I really appreciate that. I, I definitely don't take that for granted. And especially mm-hmm. now, uh, given the year that we just had, mm-hmm. it seemed like people were able to maintain that in the face of all the other shit that was happening around yeah. us. Um, so, and that's, that's really what, you know, you really get to the heart of what made um, Durham a really fun product to sell, you know, or like a, a um, company to, you know, whatever. It was, it was excited to be, or it was exciting to be um, uh, getting other people excited about Durham because that had been my experience. Um, this is not, I, I'm sorry to say, this is not the most beautiful place I've ever lived. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, everybody's has their own opinion, but um, Portland, Oregon, stunning, Missoula, Montana, Bose, I'm sorry, uh, but what makes this place exceptional really is the, um, uh, yeah, that, that supportive, um, you know, uh, attitude. Um, I can edit all of that out so people will never know that you bad. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Great talk. <laughs> Um, so as you're getting back into freelancing, something that, um, that you and I've talked about before is like the amount of, you know, you're, you're running your own business. And a lot of times if you're freelancing, you are doing it as a solo act. And there is this, you know, there's some energy to freelancing and the thrill of getting clients working on new projects all the time. But there's also the um opposite side of that which is that like you're potentially working all the time you know you're sort of making up for some of the um foundation that a normal corporate job might give you um for the freedom that you have as a solo entrepreneur and i'm i'm wondering if you could speak to sort of what that the ups and downs are for that lifestyle um, because it is, it's a, it's a scary thing to jump into. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you certainly have to have your ducks in a row cause you're not only managing different clients, but it also means you're like getting paid from lots of different people. You're, you know, when you're filing your taxes, you have to worry about getting this form and this form mm-hmm. from these, you know, various entities. And so um, it's not as, you know, it, it may seem glamorous to some people on the surface, but there's a lot that goes into building a successful life as a freelancer. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience there. Yeah, I mean, it's hard work. It's definitely hard work. Um, it's, it's rewarding. Um, it's, it's exciting to um, get to really, yeah, just to, um, to lead yourself, lead your business, um, lead your life exactly 
um, with the skills that you want to explore and the strengths you want to apply. There's, there are so many wonderful parts about it, but yeah, you do really have to, um, uh, to do your homework and, uh, and understand um, all the, the various implications of that. And a lot of the, a lot of it is, is fairly simple. Um, the billing and um, uh, some of the tax bits, it's not, it's not terribly complicated. You just need to know what you need to do. Um, but the, the bigger point about time management in general, um, that is, uh, it, it takes a while to develop that, um, that experience to price yourself properly. If you are under selling yourself, um, then you're gonna be working five times as hard because you've just diluted the value of each time or each hour of your, your week. Um, so did you ever run into issues with that? Maybe that you weren't necessarily underselling yourself. Cause I can't ever imagine a situation where you would undersell yourself, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but are there, you know, when you're dealing with clients that maybe haven't had any relationships with freelancers, navigating that conversation of worth and the value that you bring mm -hmm. compared to them, you know, hiring somebody full-time or whatever. How have you navigated that friction with, with your various clients, if there has been any? Mm -hmm. um, I think that you just have to have an, an open dialogue about what everybody wants and needs. When somebody hires me, um, I, it's my job to look out for the best interests of the company, you know, regardless of, of what it is that I'm doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, whatever my agenda is, um, that it, you know, meets up. So, um, so I don't know. I, uh, usually I have a pretty good idea of what, I would like to happen, or I can see a project or a, um, something in a larger picture of, of um, what I'm trying to achieve. And usually for me, that's about finding um, stability that I was able to um, kind of visualize between the first time that I freelanced, which was just totally chaotic, um, to, uh, to a more stable position was like, okay, so I need to be I need to have a, um, a retainer client. I need to have something predictable that I can build on. And, um, and then, you know, I can take on as many projects as, as uh, you know, suits my time and capacity. And I like to always have a little, you know, a little project that I'm uh, just kind of playing with too, uh, where I'm just developing some skills or, whatever it is that I want to do next. Um, but getting that, that anchor, uh, that foundational client is, um, is pretty crucial, at least to the way that I operate my business. And there's, you know, many different models um, for different skill sets. But I think uh, having that kind of philosophy before you go out and just start looking for work or taking projects or sending out proposals, um, that, that's, that was really the, the revelation that I had 
um, between the first time out and the second time. And it was very powerful and exciting. Having that network of peers in P in the PR space <laughs> help with the navigation of those conversations, being able to say, Hey, this is what I've been. This has been my experience with these types of clients. This is the pay range that has been really successful, successful for me, or like the, the contract structure that has worked for me, being able to share that kind of stuff. Was that beneficial or were you able to figure it out mostly uh, within yourself? That was, that was super beneficial talking to anybody that knew anything or could relate. Um, in some ways, I've, I, at various points, I felt like I could um, relate to business owners better than I could uh, people you know, uh, who work in the traditional workforce. Like, you know, there's just a next level of responsibility and considerations that you have. Um, so, but yeah, so talking to them was tremendously helpful. Um, one of the, uh, and this is actually true a, a few times over, um, I was um, talking to a woman um, about, you know, she was trying to hire me on for a project or something for a client. And we, it was the first time that we'd met and we were at Coco Cinnamon and we were talking and um, just really hit it off. She's had this, you know, very impressive um, background. And I was, of course, totally wowed with her and great conversation. Anyways, at the end of it, she says, okay, well, so what's your, it would be great to work together. So just tell me what your rate is. And so I gave it to her and she just stopped and she said, okay, no, that's not your rate. You need to, that needs to be a lot higher. And I was, I just, it was incredible. It was incredible having just sitting there and having um, a, you know, a potential client just reset my rate and the way that I was like valuing even just the time that we'd spent on that coffee was incredible. And I'll tell you like a couple of times this has happened where, you know, it really is my client who, who just comes back and says, nah, we need to, you know, we need to reassess this project or we need to, you need to be, you need to be charging more. And I think that that's, um, I have so much respect for those people and I owe them so much just, in, it's, uh, it's great. And I, and I um, really hope that more people can have an open conversation about, you know, the value of work and all that. It does seem like when you are centering the conversation around people and not around numbers in the mm -hmm. abstract mm -hmm. that you have instances like that where somebody says, no, I know where you're coming from as an individual. Mm -hmm. I recognize you and your value as a person and your skills. Let's, to your point, reevaluate this, you know, I, I don't think that that happens often. And especially in the startup space, there's just like, everyone is sort of a cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. And and it's true for, for bigger corporations, certainly true for bigger corporations too. But, um, but there's, yeah, it's just like everybody is a, is a gear and, and no one is being valued as an individual anymore. And that seems to be true across um, workforces and something that we're honestly rec reckoning with in this country right now, I think it's just like, 
we're talking about people, you know, these, they're not just, you know, employee number mm -hmm. five or employee number 5,000 at your company that, you know, they have kids, they might want to put through college, they have, you know, their own student debt that they need to pay off, they have aspirations for buying homes and all kinds of other things. And so I think that that's, um, it's really nice to hear that 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 you were able to have that experience and how transformative it was, because I do think that that's something that a lot of folks struggle with, I think is like, you know, what, it, what am I worth? Um, mm -hmm. What is, what are, what are my skills worth? Um, particularly. That's, in why, that's why I love to talk to people about that stuff because I do have, uh, you know, pretty good uh, sense of what going rates are and, just just what people can ask for or what they or how they can ask for what they need or how they can um, think about how they structured contracts or or, or whatever um, and yeah because it's, it's just more about like yeah having that conversation and, had you ever uh, thought about going back to a full-time position with anyone during this I mean, I've been, I've, I've had a couple of, um, I mean, I've gone back and forth a number of times. So I, then I took a job with my client smashing boxes um, and then was there for three years or so, that magic number again. Um, and then, yeah, then went back to work for myself and, and it, I'll probably always do that because it's a, it's a career strategy. You know, it served me very well to go between these two. And I have kind of jumped off the ladder, um, shimmied up my own rope and then, you know, uh, hit whatever rung I'm on. And it's, it's worked and it's been um, exciting and fun. And, and it's more just um, a question of what is, uh, yeah, what's, what's uh, best serves the rest of my life goals at any one time. What um, is one of the main things that pulls you back into the idea of doing, cause it, it seems like freelancing and working for yourself is um, your natural state, but what is it that would entice you enough to pull you into a more full-time position with a company? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the thing that uh, is in the back of my mind right now is um, is much larger than me, and it is that um, I believe in this country that um, if you are a leader, that now is the time to step up. And um, and for me, I guess the question is, uh, you know, do I? Do I feel like going back and, and uh, being a leader in a company would make sense? And for me, um, potentially it would if it means shaping the, uh, the uh, culture and perspective on work and the value of work and people, because I think that that can make a big difference. Um, so that would be, that, that would be what, uh, you know, what I would be open to. So it sounds like that autonomy that you are used to having as a freelancer is mm -hmm. part of the equation with mm -hmm. working for another 
business is having the ability to, yeah, shape culture, mm -hmm. shape, uh, you know, the outcomes, shape yeah. the lives of the people on your team. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that I think. Well, I'm also able to do that on my own too. And some of the, you know, the, the coaching work and, and all of that, which is why um, I, you know, I already am, am satisfied on that. So is the quite, you know, would be a, would a better place to do that from be um, one of independence. I definitely, you know, this last year um, was, you know, it was like tremendously tumultuous and all that. And I became a, um, you know, my son's preschool teacher, which was so exciting, but unexpected. Um, and I loved it. And, um, you Are know, you teaching of, him business English. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Yes. He's, he's very, very astute this one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so all my clients, um, the, some, the projects kind of dialed back a little bit, slowed down and all that, but I still had a, a good year. And one of the things that made it, um, uh, made it good was, was my clients that they, they, they get me, they know me, they, you know, um, uh, I work on some great teams, um, people doing good work. And uh, so I, I felt just, it was, it was a good year in that respect. Um, and also, you know, I was able to easily flex into uh, taking care of my son and doing the things that I needed to do for my family. So in a lot of ways, it, um, you know, being independent served me very well this last year. Um, felt like I was really able to, uh, to navigate things as, as well as possible. There's a phrase that you mentioned to me on our pre-show call. You said, um, you know, there's a difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic growth. And that sat with me a lot. Uh, since then. And, and I'm wondering if you would share a little bit more about this idea of post-traumatic growth and, you know, given the year that we've all had and, and continue to have into 2021, you know, we're all reeling for, for different reasons, whether it's, um, you know, job loss, health, you know, a, a number of things, um, but there are opportunities that come out of what we've all experienced. Um, you know, I know for me, I read a lot more books uh, last year than I had probably since high school. Um, <laughs> and that was something that I, I really enjoyed about sort of resetting my life a little bit and resetting my priorities and my, the way that I went about my days. Um, and so there, you know, even as we're hopefully transitioning back into quote unquote, normal life i'm constantly thinking about okay what what are things that i did in this downtime that i actually really needed for my well-being and how do i latch onto those and keep those and build my life around those as opposed to those only being available to me in these unique moments um good or bad and and so yeah i i i would hope that you could say a little bit more about what post-traumatic growth looks like for you and how you've been able to, um, you know, leverage that. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm with you. I, I 
done spent a lot more time with myself um, and done a lot more uh, self-reflection and um, um, yeah and and personal work um, and relationship building really with with the people um, that are so important in my life I mean I, I think that there's a lot of of um, goodness that has come out of time spent with myself um, just because uh, so much of the work that I've done over the last few years is, um, you know, is connecting work. It's, it's ecosystem building. It's um, uh, between the, the work with I, that I do with Launch Bio and NC Idea and, and Freelance League, um, I was putting on a lot of networking events, was talking to a lot because that's what lights me up. People light me up. Um, and um, yeah, and it was, it, it was so exciting. Um, and I was doing not just these, you know, 100, 200, three person, 300 person events here, but I was doing those in New York and Boston too. And so I had just a, a growing network like crazy. And um, yeah, so, so at first it was really jarring to be like, not, you know, not around a ton of people. And it was kind of a, a relief in a way. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that for me, um, just being, uh, knowing that we have a choice between kind of staying in shock and, and resisting, um, uh, you know, even the next year or two or, you know, lifetime that we're dealing with this pandemic or whatever it is, you know, just still things are, things are still very uncertain, but, um, but feeling this time, like, okay, I have, I have a choice, you know, I have grown as a person. I have more skills that I spent 2020 developing that I can apply to, um, you know, my experience going forward rather than staying in this, space of, of being, you know, anxious and uh, stressed out and searching and, and all that. I think we all have that choice. Um, and it's, it's really powerful. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, it's strange to, you know, for a long time during the pandemic, you'd see somebody maybe you hadn't seen in, in a while and they'd say, Oh, how are you? And it almost, I know I felt this way where I would be like ashamed almost to say, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because I, I had this time to, like you said, self-reflect and read and I went on more bike rides and it's just like, you know, I was taking care of myself in a way that I wasn't before because I was grinding away at the things that I was working on and just so consumed by work and social life and, and all these things. And so um, I think, you know, you're, you're getting at something about this choice, you know, we have a choice to um, try and lean into the good and, and not necessarily, um, uh, you know, dismiss the negative things outright, but just oh, yeah. recognize them and try to compartmentalize them in a way that they aren't overwhelming or not so disruptive to what we want to accomplish right like figure out how you're going to use your energy around that you know that um 
issue or, or uh, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think also, you know, out of 2020, um, I have a much stronger sense of uh, the experience of others being just wildly different. We, are, we have had this collective experience, this collective trauma, um, and knowing that there's a whole spectrum of how that's gone down for everybody uh, is really important. And, um, and no, can't, yeah, you just can't ignore it. And that's, that, I think that that's also a great um, um, place to arrive. Um, it's just is yeah being being aware of others and on a totally different level being aware of the um, experiences that um, yeah that people are having in society right now yeah I think this goes back to a common thread throughout this conversation of just understanding people you know putting this is you putting your anthropology degree to work and just recognizing that like people um, you know are individuals and not uh, you can't apply all of the same things to every person, you know, every freelancing PR person that you meet is not going to be exactly like you. And, um, and that's true across the, across the spectrum. And so putting people at the center of your work and being willing to shift and you know compromise a bit and learn and grow um i think it's something that we've all had to uh come to grips with and and i think we'll hopefully make you know make us all a lot stronger coming coming out of this i i know that that's something that i an attitude that i've tried to carry um as much as possible going into 2021 it's just like okay that, that last year was pretty tough, but, um, you know, thankfully a lot of us have, you know, landed on our feet and, um, you know, have things to be thankful for. And, and so like, we just got to keep on sort of keep on pushing and, and, um, yeah. And I think in order to show up for other people, you need to be, you know, in a really um, healthy place yourself. And so those of us who, you know, uh, were able to, um, uh, yeah, put, put in the time and make some, some progress on ourselves and feel in a better place, then this is great. This is, you know, and, and we're potentially, you know, inclined to service in the first place. Well, you know, I, I feel, um, I feel uh, good about that and like it's time to all right let's get in there and, and apply ourselves um, to helping those who you know who, who need our help What have been some of the highlights of your experience as a 
solopreneur as a freelancer? Oh man. Yeah. Highlights. Um, Oh gosh. It's, it's hard to just kind of think about any individual, uh, projects at the top of my head. Um, I think I, I just have enjoyed being able to contribute to a lot of companies in, in a meaningful way. I've gotten to invent a lot of things. I've gotten to come in and, and, and explain things and give, um, you know, give life to ideas. Um, I've gotten to help, uh, help build teams and get folks started and um, connect them to others and create opportunities for others. Um, I think that that, uh, yeah, that's, that's just been, been so much fun, um, getting to, to work with people that I really like, um, and have become very good at working with, uh, to me, I, I would say is really, that's been, um, the highlight. That's, that's a big part of the appeal. Um, I've done a lot of interesting work and projects, um, and have been kind of all over the map from, yeah, tourism and music to um, tech and biotech and done a little bit of food and some, you know, just a bunch of, just a random smattering. And I, and I learned a little bit about um, uh, from everything that I applied to all the other, the other projects. And um, that's great. People have trusted me with um, some really um, things that are very important to them. Um, and I've, I've enjoyed that opportunity. If you could give a tidbit of advice to somebody that was thinking about making the leap into freelancing, what would be the have to know for them before they take that jump? I think it really is just, um, what's the, what is, what's going to stabilize it for you? You know, that, that just takes a little bit of the, um, um, takes a little bit of the pressure off what's what's the what's your strategy for getting into it because I think just leaping out into the abyss is is not wise um I know many people have uh have been um you know found themselves freelance and not by choice in the last year and I certainly identify with that very strongly of getting into something where you you know feel kind of not all that great of confidence in am I unemployed or am I freelancing? What am I? Uh, am I, and, and to me, that's just kind of a little bit of a, yeah, it's, it's mindset is part of it. Um, um, but yeah, I think, I think just having an idea for how, how am I gonna get that first client or the, um, um, yeah, just having, having a little bit of a plan. Um, and if you don't, then just focus. I would suggest going around and, and asking, um, you know, those folks who've worked with you before, asking them, what is it that I'm, you know, really great at? Uh, what am I best at? Um, and that oftentimes that information is so much better than getting all up in your head of like, okay, and then this is the service that I'm gonna provide. And just having this very complex idea of what you're gonna offer um, a company when really you just need to start, you know, flip the your mindset a little bit more. What do they need? 
And if they can start, you know, putting words to that and you can listen for opportunities in there that, that match up with your skill sets, then that's, that's kind of how, um, how it starts to come together. But having realistic expectations for yourself about how long is it going to take to, um, uh, to bring in some business? What's it, you know, when things are, are um, kind of slow, how am I going to approach that? So really facing that fear and saying, what am I, what am I afraid of? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of income, you know, things being really um, unstable. Okay, what am I gonna do about it? How am I going to, you know, to plan for that? And that's just so much more empowering than being like, okay, and I'm just gonna white knuckle it until, uh, you know, um, until something bad happens. And then, you know, hopefully I'll have some, uh, some work. I've totally been there. I've totally been there, but you know, you can, uh, uh, you can take charge of some of that stuff. And I think with as much information as out there about freelancing and independent work and, and side hustling and, and anybody, you know, anything that has that relates to that. Um, yeah, I, it's, there's, there's a lot of resources to draw on. All right. This is the last question I have for you and we'll get out of here. Going back to your days as a, as a band manager, I'm curious, there was a band throughout history that you could have managed at the peak of their powers. Who would you want to uh, take on? Man, I don't think, I, I don't know. I think, um, I don't know if I'd manage bands again. <laughs> Even if it was like a dream plan, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Maybe I'd still, maybe I just want to be a fan. Uh, I love, I don't know. I, yes, I, I love music and I love working with musicians. And I think uh, I learned so much from working um, yeah, with musicians and that personality that I was able to apply to working with entrepreneurs and CEOs and, and, um, and all that kind of stuff. But um, so let's just say you're a roadie, then you don't have to be the manager, you just get to tag along on the tour bus and, and maybe like take pictures or I don't know, but you, you get to just like be on tour experiencing a band firsthand boy um well probably panda bear i think that would be fun huh yeah yeah i don't think i know uh that band at all no (laughs) but now now i'm like i gotta go deep in the catalog now oh yeah interesting okay i'll send you i'll send you a link okay yeah yeah that's good to know i i ask that question and now if I were to try and answer it myself I don't think I'd do a very good job I've always said that it'd be really fun to tour with the Beastie Boys I think if Uh put on the spot that would be my answer I don't know if it'd be my final answer but I just think that they're like you know they're so rambunctious and were making a certain style of music at a time where people were just like what the hell you know um they were kind of forging their own path in a way. And I think just, yeah, from what I can tell, their tours must have been incredibly entertaining. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to think on that a little bit more. And I'll, uh, I'll come I'll back, back to you. To yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for, for being on the show today and, and sharing all of your wisdom. Um, it's one of the things that I miss the most about seeing people in person is I just feel like I've been lucky enough to have been acquainted with so many people that 
you know, anytime I walk the streets of Durham, I run into somebody and I grab some new bit of, of knowledge that I can take back and, um, you know, introduce into my life, into my work. And, and I really miss that. And that's something that I've gotten a lot from, from you over the years. So it's nice to um, have a platform to share that, uh, you know, share a little bit of that with other people. Well, it's nice to hear that. And the feeling is, is very mutual. And I, I imagine after uh, this time and the, the work that you're doing, uh, that you will have a lot to contribute, a lot of wisdom to contribute. So I'll look forward. I'll take notes. How about that? Bring my pen and paper next time I see it. Is there a place, uh, you probably don't have a SoundCloud link, but uh, is there a place that you want to, uh, to send people to follow your work? LinkedIn is probably the, that's, that's the place I hang out the most, <laughs> which isn't much, but uh, yeah, you can, you can find me on there. I'm finding my way more and more on, on LinkedIn these days. I finally deleted my Facebook. Uh, yeah. So I think LinkedIn is like the new place for me to, to commune with other professionals, I guess. So yeah, yeah. LinkedIn, LinkedIn's fine. LinkedIn is a, is a great fine. answer. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a uh, it's a very it's, there's a clear transaction there. Exactly. Uh, well, well, thanks again for yeah, for being on the show, and uh, I look forward to us. I, I think this thing will be over sooner rather than later. I have faith, so I think we'll get yeah, to I, hang out again very soon. Um, but until then, I wish you the best. Yes, yeah, same to you.